you know, not just assholes, but much, much worse people. So, you know, there's sort of the huge asshole, the super asshole, the royal assholes, you know, who are sort of extremely big assholes, even for assholes, you know, compared to your... (laughs) (laughs) I've I've literally never heard 60 seconds full of the word arsehole so much. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Hello, I'm Danny Wallace. I wrote a book about rudeness called F You Very Much. And here's a question. Why do we find rudeness so attractive? Now, the latest research from the animal kingdom has shown that bonobos are not put off by unthinking mates who act selfishly and only for their own good. They are, in fact, attracted to them. I've met a bonobo. They are a very helpful primate. But they are drawn to others who display a forceful, bullying behaviour. I noticed, uh, Mark Haynes, when I said I've met a bonobo, Mm. you sort of uh, frowned and looked at me like... When did you meet a bonobo? No, I know. I, I, I don't. I can't understand the circumstances that that would have happened. Well, <laughs> ever since I've known you, you've lived either in North London or Suffolk, <laughs> and I don't. I don't know where you would have met this bonobo. I met this bonobo. I think it was in Des Moines, right in uh, in Idaho, right. And um, he was in a. She was in a sanctuary. Um, it's all being studied by a very uh, lovely lady. And these bonobos, they are smart, right? Mm-hmm. And they also, they, they are helpful. They develop ways to cooperate in a way that other primates don't. Mm. So in a sense, they're, they're kind of closer to us, I think, from memory. We may even owe a lot of our ancestry to the bonobo in particular right, because yeah, of that you, cooperation. Follow that particular strand of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I remember, though, uh, I can't believe I didn't tell you this, but I've had a, a proper conversation with a bonobo. Are you drunk? No. There was a big screen, right? And on it, I could press a button, an icon, and it would say the word for what I wanted to say, and that icon would flash up in the bonobo's... Uh, Private quarters. Right, yeah. By which okay. I mean it's room, not it's, you know. <laughs> yes, that would be a very cruel thing to do. Why were they doing that? <laughs> what is this place? <laughs> so I would be able to sort of do, and I, I wanted to sort of bond with this bonobo and do something together, cooperate yeah. in some way to see if that was true. And I'd seen these bonobos running around chasing each other, and this bonobo was called Kanzi. And so I put together some sentences for Kanzi, right? So I'm sitting there on the other side of the glass. And I go, Kanzi, chase, me, question mark. And Kanzi looked up because Kanzi understood what I was saying. And Kanzi kind of got closer to the glass and looked at me. And we were looking at each other's eyes. Mm. And it looked like Kanzi nodded. Now, I realise I'm sort of reading into that. No, it's fine because all of this sounds like a dream anyway. <laughs> so carry on. So I did it again. I mm. went, Kanzi, chase, me, question mark. And Kanzi reacted. And she sort of moved her hand as if to sort of gesture and beckon me to follow. And I followed Kanzi out to a sort of a run at the back. And we did that. We chased each other. Right. And it was fun. Mm. And it felt like having a conversation with someone like hundreds of thousands of years ago. Right. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to see whether that connection could be there. This research says that if I'd gone, Kanzi, you're a dick. <laughs> Kanzi would have sort of... <laughs> they had that in, like, emoji. Why I, did they put that on the board? I don't think they did. Why? But Why? Had, but had they done that, the science says, I probably would have made a greater connection with Kanzi. That's and, bizarre. Now, I raise that only because I really felt like we had something, me and Kanzi. Yeah. But if some idiot had come in, some super idiot, who was just telling Kanzi to 
get lost and eat another banana, Kanzi would have been more drawn to that person. Right. Because given the choice, they will gravitate towards primates who act in a bullying and very selfish way. I mean, I didn't know that you could get arsehole primates. Yeah. But they're the popular ones, are they? They're the ones who are in charge. Yeah, because they're the ones who will walk into a room or a place and dominate and show strength, which brings us on to rudeness, because we see that happening in offices Places of work, schools, wherever, up and down the country all the time. It's uh, it's Billy Big Balls. Yeah. It's the bully coming yeah. in and saying to everyone else, this is how it is because I say this is how it is. Right. Got you. So we, we, are, we are monkey people. We're monkey people. We are impressed by rude people, Mark, but that doesn't mean we like them, does it? No. Oh, God, no. I can, I've, I've had some bosses over the years who have been very, very rude and everybody's hated them and we've probably done the best work under them. That's the, that's the horror, really? isn't it? That's the horror. Why? Because because they're more efficient or because you're just doing what you're told? Slightly because they don't pussyfoot around. They make it very clear what you have to do and that what, what you can't get away with. Hmm. Given the chance, I will do as little as possible. Hmm. I, if I was a monkey, I'd be one of the fat ones at the zoo that they constantly <laughs> think is ill. And they will say, oh, we just don't know what's wrong with him. He seems to have lost all vim for life. Yeah. I, I, would, I would happily do nothing all day long. Now... An asshole, a really mean boss, is going to be aware of what I'm like, and they are going to tell me in no uncertain terms what I need to do. That's what people like me need, Danny. Weak people. But people like me, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is a weakness. I think it probably is. I don't thrive under that kind of environment. Right. When someone is treating me with disrespect, I sort of lose all respect for them. Uh-huh. And I sort of lose my motivation and I, I can't be bothered with them. On a, on a tiny scale, it's a bit like with football, right? I, I, if I play football with a bunch of friends, yep. I love it and I'm, I'm, I can be quite good. Yeah. The minute they sign you up to be in Barcelona yeah. and everyone's shouting at you going, we've paid £30 million for this guy <laughs> who is, at best, adequate at football. <laughs> no, the minute, even in that same group, one of them goes, pass it, mm. and seems a bit annoyed... I lose all interest. And I'm like, just have it. I don't want it. Turn your back on it. But, I mean, football is is a perfect example. You get people like Alex Ferguson, Mm -hmm. who's known as the hairdryer, because he'd berate the players. And all of them say he's the best manager in the history of the world. Yeah. Uh, He was not a man who was nurturing, I don't think. Uh, He was in his own way. But he was certainly a very forceful and rude person and he got results and when he was sort of first he first fell ill recently i mm. mean the the sort of the outpouring of love um from people that he had obviously shouted at didn't he once kick a i think he threw a shoe at david beckham and he got a little knock on the head yeah and yet beckham was one of the first people going you know i love you boss and yeah all this kind of stuff yeah he got assaulted if a man <laughs> did that to you in the street you'd call the police <laughs> if, if your boss does it you go wow inspirational so you're not impressed by rudeness, but you will succumb uh, no, to it. No, I am. I'm slightly impressed by rudeness. I don't mind a bit of rudeness. I, I quite like it. I find it quite sort of, I don't know, it's someone in control. I, I hate I hate wishy-washy and I hate, well, let's talk about what everyone wants to do. Because as I say, I'm lazy. And when they say, let's everyone talk, that sounds like more work for me. <laughs> if there's someone at the top who is just going, do this, I go, right, I've got my parameters. I can do that and then I can stop. I don't mind a rude, pushy person in charge. I prefer it in some ways. You'd have made a good uh, sort of upper group bahn 
Yeah. I've, do you know what? That's when I had a careers meeting at school. They said the ideal job for you would be a minor role in a fascist government. <laughs> do you know what? But you, you remember you were at school and you had to do, you know, we were of a certain age that mm. you'd be taken into a room and there'd be some kind of beige computer with a green screen. Yep. And they'd say, right, fill out these answers. Yeah. And over the 48 hours, it would crunch the numbers and the dot matrix printer would scream out a bit of terrible paper. Yep. And it would tell you what you were actually going to be in life. I remember it very well, Do yeah. Do you know what I was? Can you guess what I was? My, uh, what's, my, what's my ideal job? I, I would say writer. Well, uh, no, it's quarry manager. <laughs> <laughs> that That sounds... Fucking brilliant, though, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. You get to work at a place where there's loads of explosives and all day long you just explode rock. Yeah, I just thought it's, it's just a big hole, isn't it? Full of uh, rocks. <laughs> I, there were no questions about quarries or, or the management thereof. I, I, was abso- I went into that and I thought, I know what job I want to do, and that's to be a Oscar-winning actor. Mm-hmm. So I was very aware when I was filling out this thing, I was thinking, if I was a leading Oscar-winning actor... What answers would I give? <laughs> and I filled it out in the mindset of an Oscar-winning actor. Yeah. And when it came back about three days Which later... One? Octavia Spencer. <laughs> when it came back three days later, I opened it up and it said, librarian stroke archivist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, I can actually see you doing that. Maybe I was playing the lead role in that Dan Brown adaptation. Yeah. Do you think, though, that you should be a ruder person? We've talked about it, you're drawn to it, but with all the evidence that we've amassed, do you think you need to change (sighs) in order for others to treat you with more respect and find you a more kind of attractive boss? Sometimes I think I'm a nice guy and that people don't really respect that. They sort of think that that's a way of they can barrel over you, that they can dominate you, that your feelings are naturally happy-go-lucky and so they can do horrible things and you'll take it on the chin. Again, rudeness and honesty, it's a fine line. Mm. You know, an honest boss is someone who's going to go, you are not working hard enough. And that's also a rude boss, isn't it? Mm. And I do think there is a slight thing of if you're not a bit rude, then people tend to think you're a bit simple. But also companies are very, very aware of rudeness nowadays. Yeah. And people are being trained to deliver that kind of sentiment in a very, very soft way so as not to create turmoil within the workforce. Yeah. And it's actually, it's, I don't think it's about actually making people's lives better. Mm. It's because they've looked at the bottom line yeah. and seen that an unhappy workforce, a workforce under the thumb, is a less productive one overall. And also that the, the law is there, that if you are rude to people, you can end up being in a lot of serious trouble these days. You can mm. get done for you know all sorts of workplace-based harassment. And that's why rudeness, that's why it's so strange when we talk about it, that it isn't going away. You'd have thought in some ways it had been legislated out of existence. You'd have thought that people would have seen the results it gives with demotivation and things, and they would have made changes. What's bizarre is everywhere I go, it doesn't really seem to have changed. No, and those same rude people tend to rise up the ranks mm. for, for, for lots of things that we've sort of talked about. It's the respect from other people that they get. It's the idea that they must know what they're doing. It's the idea that they earn more because they demand more. Yeah. It's always a surprise when you meet someone who's really nice and then you say, what's your job? And they say, oh, I'm the head of this huge organisation. Mm. And your first reaction is always, oh, but he seems really nice. <laughs> no, yeah. You just expect, when you meet someone who's a real asshole, the natural thing is you're going to hear sooner or later they have a job that you would love to have. Mm. Oh, 
I'm the head of comedy at Channel 4. Mm-hmm. Well, what a surprise, because you're awful. I should say, I should say, that's not based on anything. I was going Sounds for like a dream job yeah. and trying to make a point that the people there are very nice. I should make that clear. A lot of narcissists end up rising through the ranks. And again, that's a certain type of rudeness because you're only thinking about yourself. There, mm. were, there were some studies done that showed when narcissists had to talk about their inspiration, what they find inspiring... They would zone out when listening to other people's tales of inspiration. So they'd all be sitting around in a, in a circle, and you'd have like a war hero over here, you had a nurse over here, a teacher over here, and then your classic narcissist. And you'd hear the war guy talking about, you know, the most inspiring thing he'd ever seen was a you know prisoner of war being rescued under uh, under the, the night sky exploding with uh, this and that. And the teacher who would talk about an inspiring moment with a pupil, and the nurse talking about an incredible recovery, and the narcissist would talk about a great deal that they did in business. And then afterwards they were asked, um, who did you find the most inspiring? And the narcissist would always say, uh, well, me. <laughs> they found they didn't connect with other people in the normal way. And rudeness is is a way of not connecting with people. It's a lack of empathy. It is that sort of narcissism. And we can see that more and more across business and politics. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. We once met someone together when we went to Germany to do yeah. a, a conference on honesty. Yeah, uh, We met a chap there who was in charge of a big organisation. He had yeah. a big firm. And he was trying to be more honest. But do you remember, he hated his employees. Yeah, that was really weird. And I do slightly think if you're in that position of being the boss, you probably get a lot of people all day long asking things of you. And so I think rudeness is just a way of trying to cut through some of that thicket Mm. of everybody saying, I'm going to need two weeks off and going, well, you can't have it. Right. Problem done with Uh, you. You know, I've got a problem with my desk. Well, you're going to have to put up with it. All of those things that are rude are also a weird way of just going, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. I can't cope. And I'm terrified. And I think maybe some of it does come from fear. Maybe that is an element uh, of why people act in the way they do. It's kind of a shield mm. uh, to sort of protect themselves. It was shown just the other day by researchers at the University of uh, Notre Dame that if you are a psychopath, the ruder and more abusive your boss is, the more you will thrive. Really? Tutelage, the more they will inspire you. Oh, I'd like to take back everything I said about <laughs> working under nightmarish people. Well, it, does sound like, it does sound like you'd love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe that's my, my psychopathic streak. Is uh, I just Do you know what it is, Dan? I, d- I don't like the idea of being a boss. Can you imagine how awful it must be? Mm. That It would just be terrible. I yeah. would be so frightened I would be rude all the time because I'd be desperately thinking about how I could leave that that office every day. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, horrible. And just, you know, do this, get this done, because yeah. you don't know how to say it in a nicer way yeah. and you're worried about your own career. I guess um, 98% of Americans say that they have experienced rudeness in the workplace. That's everybody. Yeah, that really is, isn't it? <laughs> but there's always a 3% error of margin, isn't yeah. there? As well? And more than a quarter of the people I asked in my very important survey, the Wallace Report, said that the last time someone was rude to them, it was in the workplace. Because I think nowhere in our lives is power more at play than at work. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And yet the, the lessons we're being taught is we are rewarding these people. We find them uh, magnetic and engaging and we put trust in them and we worship at their feet and slowly they rise up the ranks to the point where now we have a world which is being governed more and more mm. by the truly rude. I mean, obviously, you know, we can talk about Trump, but also there are people like... 
Duterte in the Philippines, uh-huh. who, when there was a traffic jam in Manila caused by a visit from the Pope, was so infuriated by this traffic jam. And remember, this is the Pope. <laughs> he called the Pope publicly a son of a whore. <laughs> that's good. I mean, I, I'd, I'd work under that guy. Yeah, but, I mean, that's there's narcissism there. There's rudeness, obviously. There's a, a touch of psychopathy, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, it's just a traffic jam, mate. Relax. Don't worry about it. Well, exactly. It'll clear. And then, you know, we mentioned dominance. I want to just briefly go back to the bonobo. Right? Mm. Because in the animal kingdom, with, with apes, chimps, you know, there's, there's often a power struggle. There's a power shift mm-hmm. when uh, an older leader suddenly realizes that towering above him is a brash new challenger. Yeah. Right? The young guy. That's the monkey nightmare. Yeah. He's coming in. And in the early days, before they get tussling and before they have a fight, one thing that the the older primate will do is start to groom very slightly the younger one. Right? Mm. So just sort of pick out some fleas and, 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 and sort of brush them away. And it's a sign of dominance. It's a sign of, I'm in charge because I can do this to you. Yeah. I am removing this, this flea from your back. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah, that would be like if you were doing well at work, your boss coming up and giving you a shoulder massage. Yes. It would be, I mean, we're not monkeys. No. It would be a case for HR, that. It would. Yeah, don't, don't touch me. Do you remember just recently, Emmanuel Macron mm. was at the White House? Yes. In front of the world's press, and out comes an older primate. <laughs> yes. Donald Trump. Yeah. Who, in front of the whole world, said, look, he's here. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's a little bit of dandruff. Didn't he? And picks the dandruff off. Gives him a little patronising brush and says, we've got to have him perfect. We've got to have him perfect. That was inordinately rude. Yeah. To, humiliating. Yeah. Uh, and a massive attempt to show dominance. Do you think that he is learning from monkeys? That he's going, <laughs> how would the monkeys deal with this? Sitting in a room with a load of monkeys and going, so what should I do? And the monkey going, start grooming him. Yeah, pick, pick away at his top. He will look like such a penis if you do that, and you'll look like the biggest leader in the history of the world. I, I, I would, I would hope that Macron later, when they got into a room together, maybe over a banquet, Macron did physically combat him like a monkey would, like a <laughs> yeah. younger monkey. And even though he may have lost this one and be covered in bite marks, sooner or later he knows his chance is going to come. Yeah, man, oh man, I had. But there was no dandruff there. It was a complete fantasy. This, this Macron is a guy who spent $30,000 on makeup in a year. Right. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Someone would have checked him before he went out. He it's may funny have as well. In the mirror. He didn't sort of go, you got a bit of fluff there. But to go dandruff, dandruff. is to also go, you, you, you are a filthy Frenchman. You don't wash your hair properly. I've or... got the quote here. Mm. But we do have a very special relationship, said Trump. In fact, I'll get that little piece of dandruff off. And then he wiped what's it was seemingly an invisible flake off and said just a little piece we have to make him perfect he's perfect <laughs> just a little piece of dandruff yeah, but he's trying to be like avuncular or like he's trying to go i've got this i'm looking after everyone and yet what a humiliating and rude thing to do isn't to, it to another statesperson isn't it i mean i mean it's also uh, there is something about it being a bodily sort of ex- excess piece yeah 
I mean, it'd be the same as lifting him up and, and smelling the back of his trousers like you would a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> and just going, no, you know what? He's all right. He's all right. He's been a big boy today and he's managed to get through the day without soiling himself. Well done, Emmanuel. And yet, who knows? He may get voted in again because of that dominance, that rudeness. Mm. Um, it, it, rudeness is uh, a huge show of strength. And I I want to get into this with with our guest. Now, our guest is a professor of philosophy. Uh, he's chair of the philosophy department at the University of uh, California, Irvine. Uh, he's the author of a great book called Assholes uh, Theory. I, I greatly enjoyed talking to him the last time uh, I talked to him. He's a dude. Yeah. He looks like someone you would cast in a film about an academic who's got crazy ideas that will never happen, then they start to happen. And the government goes, who are we going to get? Well, they're going to get Professor Aaron James. He is. There's a photo of him in the back of his book, and he he's a hunk. And Aaron James joins us now. Aaron, are you there? Hi, nice to be with you. Uh, very good to have you with us. Um, although if you'd been listening just a few moments ago, you might have been uncomfortable, as uh, as Mark here described you as a hunk. Oh, <laughs> Okay. (laughs) I'm looking at the photograph. It is indisputable. It is. Aaron Aaron is being incredibly, uh, you know, uh, generous in his batting that away. He's a hunk. He's a hunk. You're a hunk. Uh, So well done on that. But also uh, well done on your brilliant book, uh, obviously, Assholes, uh, A Theory, which is fascinating. And there's just so much in there to discuss because it, it seems like we're really at a time where there are not only more assholes, but we are celebrating them more and more. Would that be fair? I think that's fair. And, you know, they're related problems. I mean, the fact that we sort of celebrate these people and give them a lot of attention, you know, um, creates huge incentives for people to, you know, try to step up their asshole game and shine and get all the rewards that come from attention getting, you know, whether it's power or money or fame or whatever. So we are, in a sense, incentivizing assholery. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, it's partly the media age, you know, just sort of responds to, you know, the people who can get attention, whether by asshole means or otherwise. But then, you know, it's in various contexts, assholery is just, you know, kind of, it's shocking for its brazenness. And so it gets eyeballs, it gets attention, and then it turns out it pays, you know, uh, and so all the commercial incentives or political incentives end up sort of lining up in that direction. So, Aaron, what's the easiest way to explain what an asshole is? Uh, I, I give a definition of, of what it is to be, as I call a proper asshole. That's somebody who's an asshole is a stable trait of character. You know, not just somebody who's having a bad week as an asshole or, you know, a, fa- a bad asshole phase of life or, or just a teenager. Um, and so that's the guy who, uh, and they're usually men, not only men, but mainly men, the guy who uh, allows himself special advantages in cooperative life out of an entrenched sense of entitlement that immunizes him against the complaints of other people. And uh, so it's essentially selfishness. Uh, no, I don't think it's just selfishness. I mean, selfishness is one much more common vice. You know, we're all selfish from time to time. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're all interested in ourselves to a great degree, and that's totally reasonable. And then in many cases, just to the point of being insensitive to others or unfair, um, so that's that's a completely normal thing. The asshole goes, as it were, much farther than this because they sort of take special advantages in, in cooperative life, um, you know, things like cutting in line in a post office or whatever. But they do it from a sense of, of entitlement that, you know, the, they appeal to the idea that 
you know, they're they're rich so they don't have to wait, or they're beautiful, or they're smarter than these other people, or whatever. But now we might all kind of give into a rationalization from time to time in our selfishness. But the asshole is very steady and concerted about it, right? They are systematically taking special advantages, and they're very confident and find it very easy to rationalize. So it's not like you're having a bad moment, taking too many, you know, cookies from a, a tray or, you know, that's being passed around at a dinner table in a moment of weakness. And it's not even just, you know, giving yourself sort of a bad rationalization in the moment for, you know, uh, parking in a uh, handicapped spot or something like that, you know, and then later and sort of immediately feeling like, oh, I kind of telling myself a story and making things up here and then thinking better of it. Uh, I mean, this person thinks, you know, like Steve Jobs, for example, used to park in handicapped spaces and he thought, well, why, you know, I'm rich, I'm a world historical game changer, so I should be able to do this, right? And he was convinced of that, right? I mean, he was very, felt very reassured in his sense of entitlement and didn't see anything wrong with it. Of course, you know, he thought the special advantages in life should come his way. And, you know, the asshole will even go so far as to defend those privileges, you know, in an angry and, you know, entitled way without entertaining objections to it. So so they tend to think that there's something very special about them, whether it is wealth, whether it is uh, beauty, they sort of feel like they've got something to trade with the world and, and that's enough. It could be one sort of thing, like I'm rich, I'm a winner, I'm beautiful, I'm smart, I'm accomplished, I'm a Nobel Prize winner, I'm, you know, a well-sided academic, things like that. Or it could, for some people, it's sort of like, stable disposition to always find some reason to make themselves out to be sort of entitled or special and sort of very consistently where that might work on the fly in a fairly fluid way, but with equal confidence and sense of certitude that they are in fact justified in taking the advantages. And there are sort of gradations of these of these people, aren't there? There's assholes, but you also mentioned there are super assholes out there. Yeah, so I think I think that my definition of the as I call it, the proper asshole, just it's sort of your basic everyday asshole who's, you know, an asshole at the kid's soccer game and on the road and, you know, at in the coffee shop berates the brista or whatever. And um, from there, there's sort of degrees, you know, there's much worse assholes, not just people like, you know, your Hitlers or your Stalins who are sort of, you know, not just assholes, but much, much worse people. So, you know, there's sort of the huge asshole, the super asshole, the royal assholes, you know, who are sort of, extremely big assholes even for assholes you know compared to your (laughs) i've I've literally never heard 60 seconds full of the word asshole so much (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) well exactly and i mean you know do you find yourself because you have um and this is a weird sentence to say because you have sort of immersed yourself in a world of assholes do you find yourself seeing more assholes around uh, society? Are you more tuned to the world of the asshole because of it? Yeah, I definitely am. I mean, that was that was really why the theory of the definition, I mean, I initially had the idea of a definition because I thought, wait a minute, asshole is a definite type that you can sort of define and get clearer about for yourself. And once I started working with the definition, I felt like it was much easier to spot them. Um, and that was partly why I thought the definition was a good definition. But then it also, you know, I mean, there's lots of gray areas as well. You know, people who are, it's an asshole-like thing, and you want to know, is this really a stable trait of character? But sometimes, oftentimes, the details of the situations just really suggest, you know, that it's only a certain type of person that would do this. And then that, I sort of, I feel much clearer and much more able to sort of identify the different assholes and their different types and stuff like that. So, 
that's uh, I mean useful in one way, but also <laughs> maybe a curse. <laughs> so, uh, by and large, are assholes successful people? Well, let's see. I guess by and large, maybe, but not necessarily. You know, you can have assholes sort of in any context. Uh, but a couple things you might say is, for one, to successfully pull off being an asshole, you have to have some redeeming qualities. Just because the costs you're imposing on other people are pretty high, so they often won't just won't deal with you or put up with you unless you offer something redeeming, like you're rich or you're especially talented or smart or whatever, you know. I mean, if Kanye West weren't perceived as some kind of musical genius, I mean, no one would put up with him for five minutes, right? <laughs> no, he'd be a man. He'd be a man shouting outside a shoe shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, just another carnival worker. Yeah, but another thing is that success of various kinds, whether money or status or power, also in the way of you know power corrupting, etc., the traditional way, also tends to make people more self entitling and you know less empathetic and less aware of the needs of people around them. And that's actually just a documented trend in psychology or social psychology. So I think that it's not inevitable that people, as they get richer or grow in status, become assholes, but the risks and temptations become much greater. And why are we sort of attracted to these people? Is it is it because they break the norm? Is it because we see them as uh, somehow brave for in this, you know, in this sort of current climate, we're, we're always talking about... How, how wonderful we find people being honest or, you know, their opinions are refreshing or they're not politically correct. Is it about breaking the rules? Is that why we find them attractive? Yeah, I think that's part of it. The transgressiveness and even being brazen in transgression is sort of exciting to see, because uh, even if we wouldn't do it ourselves or don't approve of it being done, it's still sort of intriguing to see. In a way, like it's it goes back to Plato's Ring of Gyges, which gives its bearer powers of invisibility. And so you can avoid accountability. So it's kind of a fun exercise to imagine, like, what you would do with the, if you could be invisible at will. You know, mm. uh, you could evade accountability. You could break rules whenever you wanted to. So that's a kind of intriguing thought. And then some people are actually living it out. But I think the key to the success for the asshole is not being so, so obvious, conspicuously evil or destructive that people feel like this isn't just a transgression. This is like, you know, a dangerous force and we have to rally together to stop this kind of person. So I think the key is sort of finessing it, is sort of being transgressive, but not so far beyond the pale that people can effectively rally to hold you accountable. And how should we deal with assholes when we meet them? Is there any way that you can deal with them so that you're mitigating their assholeish nature? Yeah, I think you can mitigate. I mean, the, the best thing to do where possible is just to avoid them you know, as far as you can. That might mean bearing significant costs, like in a workplace, firing somebody who's a talented employee, not hiring somebody who's the best, you know, even a really, who's really good at the job in some way. It might mean divorcing a partner who's an asshole, um, not inviting a, an asshole to a family party, you know, fairly significant things. You know, obviously not, you know, getting involved with dating them or marrying them or befriending them in the first place. This is advice that has come far too late for my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but exactly. For many people, it's much too late for that. And, and, and in fact, there are just enough assholes that we're all basically all stuck dealing with at least one or two. And there's no real reliable way to totally avoid them. I mean, certainly not in politics or in larger society, right? We're all in some sense uh, stuck with them. I guess some big things that you can do are first involve adjusting your expectations. And that is for not address them in a way that's expecting that they will listen or understand or change. Um, that is just to spell yourself needless frustration. 
So you're not in the normal mode of argument where you're sort of trying to address a person and get them to listen and then frustrated when they won't. It's okay to stage a protest against an asshole, but you have to be clear in yourself that it's not really addressed to him. It's addressed maybe to bystanders at the post office or whatever, like, hey, buddy, get get to the back yeah. of the line, asshole, kind of thing. Or it's to, for you, just for you, uphold your own sense of self-respect or for others. Uh, but you want to give up the expectation that this guy is going to listen or change. <laughs> and just, just two things to finish, Aaron, if I can. Sure. Um, the, the first thing is, are assholes, are, are they born or are they made? I think they're, mo- they're made mostly. I mean, they're mostly men. There's some women assholes, but not that many. And why there's a difference, I think, is mostly just because of how we socialize, you know, girls and boys very differently. Girls are closely watched and sharply sanctioned and, and policed. And boys, you know, they get a lot of slack and boys will be boys. And you can't really expect them to pay attention or be considerate. And that sort of carries through in a big way. You could argue, I guess, that, you know, there's some sort of natural dispositions among boys and girls, you know, or men and women, you know, with differences in testosterone that lead to aggressiveness and maybe less empathy or something like that. But at best, those are sort of just underlying broad dispositions or tendencies, which can be activated very differently depending on civilization or the type of culture of civility that, or family that, uh, that a kid's being Mm -hmm. uh, raised into. So I think it's ultimately socialization that, you know, and gender roles that make all the difference. Yeah, I, I, you know, that that tends to chime with at least my own sort of anecdotal evidence, mm. Mark. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, for every you know one woman arsehole you meet, you meet fifty men <laughs> arseholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And Aaron is you, in in many ways you're sort of the 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 asshole whisperer. Uh, is, is who we're sort of talking to, uh, and, and just the final thing, you know, we we've mentioned this uh, this one word um, uh, almost constantly uh, during the last few minutes. The the asshole word. I noticed that as Brits, we find it uncomfortable because we sort of gravitate towards the word asshole, but asshole seems to be a particular word um, that describes these people just brilliantly. But were there any other titles for the book that you considered? <laughs> uh, well, not really. I mean, except initially. I was talking with the person who became my agent for the book, and he suggested, well, one-word titles are attractive, sort of in a general way. And I thought, oh, really? What about asshole? And then I thought, oh, (laughs) that's disgusting. You know, just asshole. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, wait a minute, assholes, plural. Oh, that's a a trait of character. That's fine, right? Uh, And that was it. So from then on, it was obvious that that should be the title. Yeah, what a different one letter can make. Uh, if I cover it with my fingers on the cover, it looks absolutely pornographic. It does, yeah. No, Mark is holding it up now, hiding the S, and uh, really, I'm disgusted even talking to you. If I saw someone reading this on the train, I would call the police. <laughs> uh, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time. Assholes of Theory is the book, and that was a, a great insight into assholes and assholery. Thanks, this was really fun. Well, our thanks to Professor Aaron James there, um, mm. author of uh, Assholes, a theory. I, I really would say get a hold of the copy of the book because that photo whoa, 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 of him, whoa, whoa, whoa. he is gorgeous. No, no, no. Get a hold of a copy of my book <laughs> and then, should you wish to read further on the topic, get Aaron's. Uh, I always feel awkward saying uh, uh, asshole in an American way. I can't, I, you know, yeah. It's asshole, that's what, that's what we say. It is, but asshole is a much harder word. Mm. here than asshole is in the states and i i do do notice a lot of like younger people would my my niece and nephew for example would say asshole 
rather than arsehole. And we sort of need that word because we don't have a, a direct translation for the American asshole. No. Is, is uh, prick? Uh, it sounds a bit hard, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Wally. Wally's not no, 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 awful, isn't it? Um, ninny Hammer. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, though, asshole came up in another uh, another famous experiment to do, well, obviously with rudeness, but also to do with power. It was done in, I think, the early 80s by Dove Cohen and Richard Nisbet. And it was to see whether people from different parts of the same country would react differently to rudeness mm. in the way that, you know, uh, someone in Carlisle may uh, react differently Please to Please tell me they just drove around in a car with the window down, shouting swear <laughs> words at people. No, they did a very interesting thing. They got people from um, the northern states of America, mm. um, places like Maine and all that, and people from the southern states of America, Alabama and so on. And there'd been much higher rates of shootings in the in the southern states because people would get drunk at barbecues. <laughs> and someone would say something about someone else's mother mm. and they'd get shot. Mm. And whereas if you said something about my mother, it's very unlikely that I would shoot you. Yeah. You know, I would use words as my weapons, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. But there was such a culture of honour in the southern states where I suppose the people who had moved there, it was much harder to survive in those states than it was with the, the sort of the more puritanical people moved up to the north, I think, and life was a bit easier. Yeah. So what they did was they had a very narrow corridor and they told you that your task was to take this exam and you take your exam and then you had to take it to the end of the corridor and put it in the pigeonhole. Mm-hmm. Now, forget the exam. The exam was irrelevant. What they wanted to see was the bit where you put the examine the pigeonhole because just as you walked down the corridor some massive bloke would walk towards you and you'd have to squeeze past the massive bloke and as you squeezed past the massive bloke the massive bloke would say the word what asshole oh great now i emailed richard nisbet and asked him why he chose that word Mm. and he just he sort of just shrugged and just went it is the canonical insult word in america it just fits yeah but in the people from the north of america it didn't really affect them that much. They were sort of confused, but they just went. Yeah. The guys from the sort of honor-heavy South felt that they had been so slighted by this stranger that when they did tests afterwards, they found their blood pressure had spiked, their brain activity was going crazy. They felt very, very stressed. And it showed that one word, in this case, asshole, and the show of dominance and the show of power, would have radically different effects on people from, from different walks of life and different just areas of a country. What a bunch of arseholes. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a glowing review. It'll help new people find it, give us something nice to read too. Uh, my book, F You Very Much, has a lot more about why we are the way we are and what we can do to stop it. It's available right now to download or in paperback. My thanks to Mark Haynes. And next time we'll be asking, could rudeness kill us all? Spoiler alert, yeah. (laughs) Till then, F you very much.